Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Rusty Quill Presents I've got the place to myself again, for a little while. Jake's on a joyride back to his home, collecting a few last valuables and necessities, and then he'll be back up here for good. I'm cool with it. So far we've been getting along pretty well, even in the recent crisis situation with my old buddies showing up. He trusts me. That's what's important. And I like him. That's important too. We haven't had any super weird moments yet, no lengthy silences, and I'm sure once we get to know each other better, I'll just start feeling normal around him. Hopefully we'll have some stuff in common. Hopefully he's not a secret neo-Nazi or KKK member. That would be beyond fucked up. I'd have to end him. Maybe he likes to read like I do. Hopefully he'll bring back a book or two. There's nothing to read in this place except for lots and lots and lots of numbers. I bet when he gets back he'll have a bunch of questions to ask me once he's got some distance from me and Ostium. Oh, and I'm not bothering with the date and the 0600 hours bullshit anymore. In Ostium, time really doesn't matter. Plus, Jake had mentioned something about the last time he went home the time was off or he was missing time or some shit. It wasn't really clear. But I guess if something is happening out there versus in here, you'll have to say something about it when he gets back. Speaking of which, I've got a plan for what I'm going to do with my free time here while he's gone. First off, Jake is never going to hear this voice recording. I'll get it up online somewhere, like he has all of his recordings. I'll do all of that for my recordings. It just makes sense. Backup. Covering our asses in a way. What for? Who the fuck really knows? I just feel calmer doing it. But he's never going to hear this recording. Because my plan is dangerous. Whoever's listening to this, if you've heard all this stuff before, 
You've probably noticed that neither of us brought anything back from Mars. Yeah, we both just plain forgot. I should've. I should I should have known better. Anyway, I don't think we can keep going on unless we keep turning the numbers on the map table gold. Maybe the next door will open for us, but that'll be it. It's just how Ostium works. So I need to go back through door four. And I'm going to do it without Jake. I'm going to do it right now. Okay, I'm outside door number four. I have no idea what to expect. Will it even fucking open for me? Only one way to find out. I turn the handle and push. The door moves. A little. But it's like there's something stuck on the other side. Yeah, I do remember the blackness and the moans and the fucking creepy skull from the last time I was here, don't worry. But the door is moving. So I push hard. I give a little push harder still. It moves in more each time I try. Then it just lets go and swings wide open. I almost fall through it, but stop myself. The darkness is there, but it's different. Thicker. Like it's sort of alive. It's moving. Tendrils. Fingers reaching out. A whiteness. And that motherfucking skull face shows itself again. Moaning like a banshee. I don't need to be told I'm not welcome. I grab the handle and wrench it back closed. Now it's like there's a weight holding it open. Some force pulling on the other side. Fucking let go, Banshee. I yank as hard as I can, feeling my feet beginning to slip in the dirt. Then the door moves and slams shut. (laughs) Just fell on my ass. Well, that didn't go so well. He's back, and he's moving in. The amount of stuff he's dragging in is kind of freaky. He even asked me to give him a hand carrying his stuff. He's real excited. I can hear it in his voice, like one of those guys on House Hunters, and he just got the perfect place. But I gotta admit, I kinda like it here. Nah, scratch that. I really like it here. I never, ever saw my life ending up at a place like this. A place that could take you anywhere. I'm also happy to have Jake back. Surprisingly happy. Guess I don't mind having the guy around. He starts setting his shit up. He attaches the little pump to his brand spanking new inflatable mattress. The machine sound is kind of weird in here. In Ostium. Like it doesn't belong. While he's moving in, arranging his suitcases and duffel bags, I guess he forgot to bring a dresser, adding his toiletries to the bathroom... He starts asking questions. This time I don't hold back and give him the answers. He brings up the weird lock that was on the gate when he first arrived. I wonder what the hell he's talking about. Huh. I flip through the files in my head on Jake and find the one on his first time seeing Ostium. Oh, yeah. The weird hexagonal lock. The one I'd never seen before. Hmm. I tell him, as he should recall, I saw it too when I first came to Ostium, and when I came back the second time, like he did, it was gone. It's just as much a mystery to me. 
Apparently, Ostium only lets certain people in. We passed whatever weird-ass test there was and were allowed in. He asks about my military friends. They got in easy enough. I say I don't know again. It's something that gets said a lot when talking about Ostium. They probably broke the lock. Or maybe Ostium let them in. Why? he asks. I say because it knew what I was going to do. What I had planned. Ostium knew they would be more likely to go away and not come back if things went my way, instead of keeping them locked out. They would have tried a lot harder to get in. Now? Not so much. I ask him if he's got any more info on that missing time stuff. What day is it supposed to be now? He says Sunday. I say okay. Then he tells me the date. And I say, what the fuck? He explains what he knows. Time moves differently in Ostium. I gotta say I'm not surprised, but that's just the way it's gonna be now. Since I got no ties to the real world anymore, I'm not that bothered about it. Jake kinda says the same thing, though I can tell he's not fully convinced yet. In time, I'm sure he'll come around. I ask if he's tried using our Ostium mind thingy on the outside. He said he did. Right outside Ostium, it starts to get kind of fuzzy, well hazy. The further away he goes, the worse it gets until it just shuts off, no longer working. Huh, is my response. Again, not surprised. Then he gets this serious look in his eyes. They sharpen on me, like he's just looking through me. Something big is coming. He says he thinks I haven't told him everything I know about Ostium, that there's more. Then he just kind of stares. He's angry. Kind of angry. It's also kind of cute. I think. Then decide. Yes, I say. There is some more. I told him in my recordings what I experienced. How Ostium was found. What the military did about it. What I was ordered to do. How it was all handled. How I got away. How I got here. I've never really told him what I think about Ostium. This is something I'm still working on. Answers are hard to come by when it comes to this place, so you have to come up with ideas, theories. I've done research, on my own time, when I was with them, and on my own now. I look back at him with that same hard look. I tell him I don't think Ostium's one of a kind. What? He practically yells at me. I repeat and rephrase. I say I don't think there's just one Ostium. Ostium is unique, but it's also a type of place. There are other places like it. Over time, over history, throughout the world. Some have been documented. Others talked and thought about. And some stay shrouded in mystery. Okay, he says. Like what? Give me some examples. Atlantis, I say. Not saying anything else about it. The one word covers it all, really. He gives me a nod. He understands. He wants more. Avalon, a mysterious place out of King Arthur. Stonehenge, the Bermuda Triangle. The Devil's Sea or Dragon's Triangle. The Bermuda Triangle equivalent near Japan. Each of these places has history. Multiple instances of people disappearing. Accidents happening problem spots. 
Places you kind of want to stay away from. His eyes are so wide now. I also found obscure references to towns like Ostium. I know nothing about them, just their name, and how they're impossible to find. People who found them may have disappeared. It's all just conjecture, hearsay, but it's there. Nightvale is one. Tannis is another. Limetown is the last one. It appears these three are likely located within the United States, but there's nothing to prove that. Hmm. Jake has nothing to say. His look is softened. He also looks kind of shocked. Well, I had to tell him at some point. Better sooner than later, I guess. I continue. What this tells me is that there are more places like Ostium. Not the same, just like. These other towns could have doors to other places, or they could be something completely different. I just don't know. No one appears to. There may be more around the world. So what does this mean, I ask him. He closes his mouth finally, but he's got nothing to offer. I didn't really expect him to say anything. This is the part I'm still working on, I say. Cogitating, I say, smirking at him. That's one of your words, right? What I know for sure is this place is important. Really important. And at the moment, we're the only two people Ostium seems happy with. So we gotta take advantage of it. Use whatever leverage we can get. We do that by going through doors. Lots of doors. Learning more. Experiencing more. Trying to figure it out. We bring back pieces of those times and fill in the map. We try to find out what Ostium is trying to tell us. What Ostium wants. Goddamn, that's brilliant, he says. I smile. Thanks, I say. So you know what's next, I ask. What, he says. We go through door number five? Nope, I say. Not that door. He stares at me, frowning. Then it clears. The eyes are as big as billiard balls again. We need to go through door four because we didn't bring anything back. Damn fucking right, I said. So how do we do that? He says, we already went through and came back. Isn't the door locked now? I look at him, thinking, weighing my options. He needs to know, even though I really didn't want to tell him. I tried earlier, I say. Stop looking at me so freaked. I yell at him. Deal with it. I tried earlier, while you were gone. I tried the door. It opened. But there was blackness and that skull face on the other side. Shit, he says, drawing the word out like taffy. I got the door closed before anything could come out. So what are we going to do, he asks. He still doesn't get it. It's going to have to slap him in the face before he does. I say, you and I go back there. You open the door and we see what happens. We go from there. It's the next day, whichever one or date that might be outside the walls of Ostium. Inside the walls, no one gives a shit. So, what exactly did you do, he asks. We're standing in front of the door to the outhouse. I just turned the handle and slowly opened it like normal, I say. And you think it'll be different with me, he says? 
I bring up something specific, I said, when I first went through this door and was waiting for him. How that crunching, crackling blackness wasn't there on the other side. I wasn't seeing it or hearing it until he came through. That's what started it. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. You're right, he says. I say, I think you might have some control over it. Somehow. I don't know. Just give it a try. He sucks in his chest, puts on a brave face. I smile at him so he can relax. Then turns the handle and opens the door as if he doesn't really care what's going on on the other side. That gusto's impressive. It seems like for just one little second I hear that crackling blackness. Then there's silence. The doors open and all is dark inside like usual. But there's no sound, no creepy floating skull. Jake looks back at me to make sure I'm watching and that I'll be right behind him and steps through. I quickly do the same, and just like that, we're on Mars again. It's like the whole thing is reset. It's all clean and shiny, gentle humming. The windows are big and clear like before. Outside, I can see the rocket ships. The red and orange sand and hills, the grayish sky. Jake starts walking. He has a direction in mind. I follow. It definitely feels weird to kind of have our roles switched. Me following him now. But he has some sort of control here. Maybe a power. There's no blackness out there right now, and I can't hear anything. He stopped at one of the terminals. I come up beside him, looking over his shoulder. The screen is turned on now. It's different from before. Jake looks at me and mentions this. I nod. He starts to touch the keyboard, then stops. Instead, he taps the screen with his index finger. The screen changes, shows a small thumb-sized square. Above it, it says fingerprint ID. He raises his thumb, hesitates, takes a deep breath, then puts his thumb on the screen. There's a series of beeps. When Jake takes his thumb away, I can see his thumbprint clearly in red. The screen clears and two words come up. Welcome, Jake. How can we serve you? Um, Jake says, I'd like to see the footage from when I was last here. The screen changes immediately to playing a video, showing Jake coming through the doorway. Camera angles switch as he walks along, giving the viewer the best viewpoint to see him. Along the bottom, the screen is aligned with a little progress square. Intuitively, Jake puts his finger on it and drags it towards the end, but stops it just before. We watch as I give him a wink, go through, and close the door. Sorry for doing that, I whisper in his ear. That was mean. Then we see Jake running up to the door, clearly panicked, and then pulling it open. The blackness shows at the edge of the screen, coming for him. It's moving incredibly fast. It's hungry. He turns back to look at it before diving through. From this angle, it's possible to see forms in the blackness. Turn it off, he says, then starts running. I chase after him, yelling, what the hell? Can't you hear it, he says? The blackness is coming back, a lot faster this time. I hear it now, and he's right. It's getting louder, real quick. I chase after him. Where the hell is he going? He knows as much about this place as I do. He's looking for something, but what? We pass through rooms, and then he stops at a bed and picks up the data pad. 
Oh, that! He knew exactly what he wanted all along. Knew it probably before he went through the door. And why is that exactly? Because Jake knows more than he's been telling. Someone's been a naughty boy. Now it's my turn to get some answers. But not right now, when I have fucking time. The light's starting to fade. Whatever the hell that blackness is, it's not just blocking out the sunlight, but sucking the energy from this place. The lights are starting to dim. Shit. While I'm woe-gathering, Jake is long gone. Good thing I know the way. I'm after him in a flash. He's at the door, and now he's through. I'm not far behind. The blackness is passing through the windows and walls now like they're whispery spider webs. There are screams along with the loud crackling. It's It sounds like a raging fire. The screams and wails are horrors I'd like to never hear again. But I'm sure Ostium has a different plan for us. My guts have turned to jelly. It's been a while since I was this fucking scared. I hate it. Fortunately, I'm at the door now. As I pass through, I hear my name called, amongst all the screaming and crackling. It, it's... It's Steve's voice. Back in Ostium. Jake is ready. He grabs the door handle as I come through and slams it shut. The grassy ground of this familiar town never felt so good. Oh, I just need a moment to catch my breath. Jake's watching me. He's concerned. How sweet. I sit up and tell him the one word I heard before I came through. His eyebrows rise up and I wonder if they're going to slide off his forehead. Then I tell him whose voice it was. He gasps, choking on something. Emotional spit? I tell him he was right. The blackness got him. I have nothing more to say now. I get up and head back to the place we call home these days. Jake quietly follows. We rested, had some nosh, collected our senses a little. Jake hasn't let go of the tablet. He hasn't done shit with it yet, but he's keeping it close. Like a good luck charm. I think of that little fat figurine from Roanoke. Yeah, it meant a lot to me. I get it. He sees me staring at him, so he holds it up, showing me the white back. It looks a lot like an iPad Mini, so that would make it, what, the iPad Mini 200? 2000? He flips it over, and I see the blank screen. At the very top above the screen, on the material of whatever it's made of, is a little number four. I ask him how the hell he knew that that was what he needed. He says it's a feeling he has inside him now. A drive. He probably had it in Roanoke, but didn't know what it was. There was too much going on. He could sort of feel it on the Mary Celeste. A strange pulling. That's how he knew the dining table was important. And on Mars he recognized it. But then he heard the noise and got distracted. How come it wasn't in any of your audio broadcasts, I asked. He says he didn't really know what the feeling was until Mars. He didn't understand. Jake, I say, I'm going to take some time with what I have to say to him next. 
They're going to pack a wallop. Jake, have you noticed you've had a strong connection so far with what's behind the doors? He's silent, looking at me like I just grew another head. He's never looked at me like this before, and I can't say I like it. I prefer when he's smiling or questioning or looking at me in that confused, adorable way. But now he's looking at me with a mixture of emotions. Shock, but not exactly scared. More like me telling him something he already knows. And there's a dose of anger there too. I get it. But he needs to know. He deserves to know. And if we're going to keep getting along and start actually liking each other, we need to be honest. Look, I say, we don't have to talk about it now. You just go ahead. Think about it. So you want to go stick that thing on the map table and see what happens? There's the cutie look. I actually missed the goddamn thing. First, he says, I want to see if it works and what it can tell me. No shit, I say. He searches around the edge for a button, finds nothing. So he presses his thumb on the screen. It lights up, showing the familiar small square and fingerprint ID. Here goes nothing, he says, and touches it with his thumb. Two words flash up on the screen for a second and then disappear. Welcome, Jake. Hmm. I'm watching, just as hooked to the screen as he is. Two icons are showing. There's nothing else on the screen. I can't see any buttons, anything that looks like it would make something happen. The two icons are images. Jake presses the first one. A video starts, and we see Jake coming through the door and do his walking around on Mars routine we were watching just a little while ago. I almost tell Jake to try and stop it since this is nothing new to us, but I don't. He watches, not moving. It's just in case there's anything new. There isn't. The screen clears and we're staring at the two icons again. And last, but let's hope not least, Jake says, and presses the second one. Another video loads up. It's Steve, leaning against the map table. I try, but I I can't stop myself from whispering his name. Jake looks up at me for a split second, then back down at the video. Looks like he's using some sort of handheld camera, maybe a phone. He's smiling. He looks good. Hale and healthy. Damn, I miss him. Hi, Monica, he says to the camera. To me. I feel tears form in my eyes. If I know you at all, Steve continues, I know somehow you're watching this video. I've been inside this strange town for a few days. It's pretty whack. Fucking weirdness at every turn. I found a place to camp out. It was like walking into a new house. Clean floors, empty cabinets, a bed ready for sheets. There was hot and cold running water. The damn toilet even flushed. Whoever installed the plumbing here did a kick-ass job. There's a number one on the door here. And I'm leaning against a mindfuck of a map that's carved into the wood. The detail is shit crazy. I got my big-ass order of supplies this morning. I didn't expect anyone in command to approve it, so I'm gobsmacked. I don't know how long I'm spending here, but I got supplies for a long time. In a little while, I'm going to go check out the door with the number two on it. See if it opens for me. 
After that, I'll come back and do a report for HQ. And if that door opens, it'll be cool to talk about what's on the other side. Well, I think that's it for now. You know, Monica, since I've been here, off base and away from you, I've, I've kind of missed you. A lot. I didn't think I would really, but... Shit. I don't know. When I get back, maybe we can talk about it. Okay? See you soon, babe. The screen goes black and then clears to show the two icons again. It's all blurry. Nope, that's just me crying. I turn away trying to keep it together. I wipe my eyes, but somehow touching my face with my hands triggers something. I start sobbing and covering my face. My shoulders shake and I do the whole song and dance routine, sobbing all over. I've been keeping a lot together, a lot inside. This video just cracked it open. I, I need some release. I feel something touching my shoulder. It's, it's kind of heavy, really warm. It's Jake, his hand. I need this too. I turn and lean into him, his, his arms coming around me and holding me tight are the best things I've felt in a while. I can smell him, his scent and deodorant, so clean and welcoming. I'm sure there's something edible reminding me of my dad, but it's really helping. Less than a minute later, I've got myself together. I pull away and his arms immediately let go. I take a few steps back, wipe my face, and start to feel a whole lot better. I look up at Jake with thankfulness and see his eyes are teary too. The waterworks almost start again. I'm, I'm just fucking brimming with feels. This guy wasn't just copping one. Not that I'd ever think Jake would be capable of that. But he's a guy after all. Nope. A damn son of a bitch gives a damn. Okay. We got this together now. Jake offers to make me some tea. And I mentioned something about him being a lifesaver. When he comes back with two steaming mugs, I'm already standing by the map table. In my hand is the data pad. I trade Jake the tablet for my tea, and I take a sip of the scalding liquid, and it helps a lot. I ask Jake if he's ready to put the data pad on the floor. He watches me for a while. Just before it starts to get awkward, he says... You know you won't be able to watch the video again. I take a breath. I know this. It's what I've been thinking about while waiting for Jake to come back. Yes, I say. If he's gone, permanently gone, I need a way to put him to rest. This is a way. He nods, not offering any empty words. There's nothing that can be said here. I wonder if he wonders if I'm still thinking that Steve isn't gone. Because I'm not sure. We know nothing about the blackness. Other than Jake has some sort of control over it. And I heard Steve's voice in it. Jake picks up the data pad and puts it on the floor. A few seconds pass and the light I've seen a couple of times envelopes the tablet. And then it's gone. Underneath is a golden four. That's when I feel the exhaustion like a cartoon character who just got hit on the head by a grand piano. 
I tell Jake I'm heading to bed. I'm, I'm beyond beat. He just nods again. I'm thankful for that. I walk away, go into the room, and close the door. I don't know what time it is, but sunset can't be too far away. I curl up in my sleeping bag, feeling the tears coming again, starting to leak from my closed eyelids. I wonder if I'm going to be able to sleep. Then I drift off into slumberland. It's the morning, and Monica and I are partaking in a most interesting and unusual breakfast. I don't know how, but Monica manages to dig out a loaf of bread way back in what I'm calling the pantry cabinet. It's the gift that keeps on giving. It seems new delights and delicacies are discovered every day from within its wooden walls. I'm starting to wonder if it might be magically enchanted in some way. Yet another special place in Ostium that seems to bend the rules of physics in reality. Or perhaps Steve did a really great job of stocking up. The bread is the whitest of the white, a blanched cardboard, essentially. But it fills a hole, sort of. I'm impressed it hasn't gone moldy yet. That cabinet has to be moisture-free and practically airtight. Using a little propane, we also cook up a can of corned beef hash. For some tasty fruit, we enjoy a can of pineapple and one of peaches. I feel closer to Monica now. My sole intention yesterday in taking her into my arms when she was distraught and tearful was purely consolation. But after everything that happened, when she was pushed over the edge, I was also brought close to it. I felt for the man named Steve, who I've never met. It was wrenching. So it felt good to be some help to Monica. After breakfast, I clear things away and then prepare for our next trip to door number five. Monica gets ready in her own way, getting together a few things, and I realize with a thrill of excitement that it's our first time going into action together. Indulge me to be a geek for a little bit, but here we are in a secret town that no one else really knows about that leads you to different places in time. And here we are, suiting up, so to speak, and getting ready to pass through another one of these special doors. Okay, done geeking out. For now. Monica has the door open, and I'm out in the fresh morning air before she can say ostium, and after about five steps, I stop dead in my tracks with an elongated, uh... My cape crusader walks by and says, follow me. I dutifully follow behind. Someone forgot to check the location of door number five, and that's why there's two of us. And that's why there's no I in team. And that's why I'm really happy to have Monica here with me. Because she's a lot smarter than me.
We turn down streets right and left, and I get quickly turned around. Was Monica doing it deliberately just to confuse me? To make me feel stupid? Because it's working. Just as I'm starting to wonder if we're heading towards the front gate, she takes a hard left, goes four doors down, and stops. There's the door with the five on it. We stand before it, all ready to go. I reach out for the handle and Monica stops me. She turns to me and puts her hands on my shoulders, looking into my eyes. I wonder what's going on, but I'm certainly enjoying the physical contact. Before we go in, I want you to acknowledge real quick your connections with the doors we've gone through. Connections? I haven't forgotten what she told me yesterday. Not by a long shot. But at the same time, I force myself not to think about it. Because it's intimidating and scary. Look, it's okay to be scared. Damn it, she sees right through me. I'm a little scared, too. We both are because we don't understand this. But if we're going to start understanding it at all, we need to talk about it. You need to admit it. Okay. Roanoke. In a college history class, I got kind of obsessed with it and I wrote a paper about it. The Mary Celeste? Similar story. It's another event with the mysterious disappearance of people. I first heard about it researching Roanoke. It was one of those wiki black hole things. What? When you're looking something up on Wikipedia, and then you link to another thing, and to another, and to another, and then like two hours go by, and you're 50 wiki pages down the hole from where you started. Oh, okay. Mars. I'm a sci-fi geek. Love the literature. Kim Stanley Robinson's Red Mars trilogy is my favorite. And I love Total Recall. Good. That wasn't so hard, was it? No. So why is it all connected to me? Fuck knows. Okay, let's go. She opens the door and walks through, and I quickly follow behind. Stepping through the doorway and across the blackness that could be a quick step across time or a mighty leap across a chasm where one could easily be lost forever, I look out at another clear and beautiful day. Breathtaking blue skies, bright sunshine, and at first I see a lot of water and think we're on a boat again. But the ground is solid and stable. There's no tilting motion. We're at the beach, sort of. It's actually a small harbor, and we're on a promenade looking over a body of water. Wow. It's beautiful here. I wonder where and when it is. Yeah, I say, making a slow panoramic pan of the landscape. Halfway through, I see a structure, a building. It's distinct, a big round shape that angles up to a point. It looks like the top half of a cupcake. The rest of the building is cylindrical and sculptured. General shape is the bottom half of a cupcake, but beautifully ornate, with a viewing terrace wrapping around it like a layer of frosting. I know where we are. What? We're on Catalina. What? It's an island off the coast of Los Angeles. I, I know what Catalina is. How do you know? That, I say, pointing at the distinctive building, is the casino building. We're in the town of Avalon. I know this because 
When I was five, I came here with my parents for a vacation trip. We spent three days here, and I loved every second of it. The following week, I went to school, and the Loma Prieta earthquake happened. They couldn't find the bodies, either of them. I thought it was fucking stupid, but we had a funeral and buried two empty coffins. Oh, that really fucking sucks. I'm really sorry, Jake. Thanks, Monica. It's been a long time, and I've managed to get over it the best of my ability. My folks are dead, too. Sorry. It's okay. Same deal. Long time ago. Just a sad memory now. So, what are we standing on? Oh, um, don't worry. It's solid. This is the Avalon Pier. A nice promenading spot for tourists. Over there, I say, pointing east, is the ferry terminal, which goes to and from Long Beach. I notice it is visibly absent of ferries. (laughs) Yeah. Noted. Downtown is along there. I make a sweeping gesture along the south to the southwest. And that is the Catalina Casino building, though it has a movie theater in it now, built in 1929. Though I'll wait till we get inside before I give you the full history lesson. Did you take a sociology class on Catalina or something? <sighs> Avalon, Catalina, and the casino building is technically another one of my sessions. While I was here, I learned everything I could. I was a sponge for information and history. Why technically? Because I was five and I didn't realize that it was an obsession at the time. I figured I was more obsessed with that normal five-year-old boy obsessions. Also, over the years, I've kept up on my research. Well, it sure fits the ostium modus operandi. Yeah, I noticed that. I find it unsettling. You and me both. Now, this being a tourist town, do you happen to see any tourists? I feel it pretty redundant, but I make a scan of every part of Evalon I can see. There's a light breeze. The lapping water sounds right. I think that was a seagull, but there's absolutely no sign of movement. Nope. No hide nor hair. (sighs) I guess that's one way of putting it. Okay, so we've got a place you know well, a historical building you're obsessed with, no sign of people. Just running down the old ostium checklist here, uh, which leads us to the blackness. I turn and look out to sea, finding Monica doing the same thing. A silence passes between us. Okay. I see no blackness. It's clear open sea out here. I think that's because I've been concentrating. As soon as I stepped through... I made part of my mind focus on the blackness, focus on keeping it at bay, away from here. And I think it's working, somehow. You are just full of surprises, aren't you? (laughs) Yeah, I say with an impressed smile on my face. I don't know how long it's going to work or hold or whatever, but we've got some time, more than usual. Okay, good. So where do we go from here? Do we partake of some sightseeing? In a way. We're going to head down through town just to be sure we're all alone. And then we're going to the casino building. 
because you haven't seen it since you were a kid and you want to get your kicks? No, I say, sounding a little peeved. Because I can feel that's where the artifact is. quarter-mile walk along the promenade, following the curve of the bay. On the right is an inviting beach and cool blue waters. On the left, storefronts, restaurants, and streets. It's downright eerie with not a single person around. That's when my brain starts cogitating, analyzing the situation. What's different here? We've established my connection to this place. It was glaringly obvious, really, and there are no people. No one in sight anywhere. Still following the pattern. The blackness hasn't started yet, but I can feel it. Like the buildup of an oncoming storm. As it gets stronger, I dedicate more of my focus, my concentration to it. I know it's going to hit a breaking point, not too long from now, and then we'll start doing its thing. I'm quite amazed I'm able to do it. It really isn't that hard to necessarily do, but... The pressure's building, and it'll start coming for me soon. And yet, something's not right. I can't quite put my mental finger on it. The fact that my brain is churning over what I'm seeing, what things look like, tells me something's amiss, off-kilter. But what the hell is it? And then my brain reaches its thinking destination, and I get it. I stop in my tracks. Monica keeps going for a few steps. She's been focused on the beautiful casino building, and then realizes I'm not with her. Stops and looks and comes back. Hey, what's wrong? Something's really wrong with this place. Other than the usual? No people, airily quiet? What else? What day is it? No, what year is it? You mean in Ostium or here? Here, Avalon. Uh, no fucking clue. You tell me. Okay, that's warranted. How about, uh, what year does it feel like it is here? I don't know. When was the casino building built? Uh, it opened its doors on May 29th, 1929. So, nope, it's definitely not 1929. <laughs> right. The buildings, the few cars we can see... By the way, FYI, cars are very limited on the island. Golf carts are way more common. Like there and there, I say, pointing. So what year is it here? She stares at me, then she crosses the road. No traffic to worry about, and stops in front of a store window. I soon join her. It's a clothing boutique called Seashore Angels. There are mannequins in the window, one in a vibrant green dress, the other an elegant maroon gown. Behind are racks of different types of clothes. Tops, shirts, pants, skirts, dresses. In the back corner, I can see a section dedicated to shoes. It's modern. I nod. Yep, contemporary. I'd even go so far as to say it's the current year here. 
I could imagine anyone wearing just about any of those clothes and not feeling out of style or old-fashioned. Or looking like they're in Back to the Future, too. <laughs> that brings a smile to my face. She makes great references. It's definitely something I really like about Monica. Hmm, though they'd need some serious moolah or deep credit cards to afford most of this shit. <laughs> Indeed. So, if it's this year, why is there a door leading to it from Ostium? We've only gone deep into the past or the future so far. Doesn't mean it can't happen. I nod, take my time, parsing her words. True, but the places we visited so far, the ones in the past, they actually happened. There's historical evidence and sources. The one on Mars, obviously, is a different can of fish. I think you mean a different spot on the map. She winks at me when she says this. I don't miss that it was on Mars she'd given me that same saucy wink before she went through the door back to Ostium. Is she flirting with me? Okay, focus, Jake. Yeah, I say, smirking back. So, if this is Avalon, Catalina, in the current year of our Lord, has this actually happened? Have the people of Avalon, the people of Catalina, disappeared? She stares at me. Eyes widening. Holy shit. She's looking into the boutique again and takes a deep breath. Why couldn't you have just said that to begin with, instead of asking me the year and all that shit? That's not really the way I work. So I've noticed. Then she turns around and starts walking back to the promenade. Come on, Hitchcock. I follow with a smile on my face. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Thank you. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Fifteen minutes later, we reached the foot of the casino building. I'm sweating heavily. It's relatively hot here, but not too toasty, so I shouldn't be perspiring this much. That's because my defenses against the blackness were dropped a couple minutes ago. For the last ten minutes, we've been walking in silence as I focus all my energy and willpower on keeping whatever the hell that onyx dune actually is at bay. And then I can't hold it back anymore. It feels like an overflowing vessel of water, and I just let it go, and it all comes tumbling out like a burst dam. Monica stops just as I did. I can tell she feels it and looks out to see. I see the distant line of blackness now. It's growing, just like it usually does. We walk faster after that. For a millisecond, I wonder what we're going to do if all the doors are locked but it pulls open easily enough. As we step inside, I turn on my tour guide voice, even though I've never had an aspiration to be one. The Catalina Casino opened its doors for the first time on May 29, 1929. Designed by Sumner A. Spaulding and Walter Weber, it was built under the direction of William Wrigley Jr., with a price tag amounting to $2 million dollars. It was one of the first completely circular buildings of its kind. The styles are a combined Art Deco and Mediterranean Revival. The building is 12 stories high. On the lower level is a museum. On the main floor, where we are now, is a movie theater that still has a working organ, back from when music was a big part of going to the movies, or the pictures. I came here with my parents. Can't remember what movie but I do remember the organist totally rocking the Phantom of the Opera theme. On the upper floor is a promenade and 20,000 square foot ballroom that can accommodate 1,500 dancers, and it's the largest ballroom in the world without supporting pillars. You remember all that bullshit from when you were a kid? (laughs) Sort of. You are such a nerd. (laughs) I'll take that as a compliment. (laughs) No worries, nerd bro. I'm one too. We're now in the concessions area of the movie theater. There's a stale smell of popcorn and greasy butter in the air. I believe it's an odor that will never leave this place, much like its mystique in history. You still tracking that artifact? Yep, I say, leading the way into the main theater. It's a grand sweeping auditorium with a surprising number of seats. The floor is angled downward, giving each row full view of the stage and the screen. On the walls are breathtaking frescoes bursting with color, detail, and life. The ceiling is painted white. There's an ornate, curving arch around the stage with golden decoration. At the apex is a golden woman with red hair standing on a shell. The movie screen is currently retracted, and behind it is another beautiful piece of art, a man surfing on blue waves with a golden background. 
I can tell Monica is taken aback by this place. It has that effect on you. Then I feel that magnetic pull start to focus. We're getting close now. I lead the way down the main aisle, passing the rows of red velvet seating. Well, probably not velvet, but definitely red. Blood red. Fresh blood. Given the circumstances, I feel a twitching down my back. The red seems too bright for the lighting. Also, there's lighting. The lights are on. Yeah, I noticed that as soon as we walked in. Like they had it all going and then everyone just up and left. That's creepy. We reach the front row, the wide stage before us. The man surfing the wave without a surfboard looking like a mighty Hawaiian god. I make myself look to the right, even though I've been feeling the ethereal tug from the left side. But I just caught a glimpse of something before I looked in the opposite direction, and I'm telling myself it isn't in any conceivable way what I think it is. I take a breath, staring at the empty row, then look to the left. Shit, it's exactly that. In the tenth seat of the front row is a body. A dead body. I take a few steps toward the body and stop. This is the first person we've seen in one of the worlds Ostium has sent us to. Now, I'm not certain that the man is dead, but there's no indication of life or movement. That's when Monica starts running to the man. No. Oh, no. No, 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 no. A heavy stone drops in my chest, pulling me down. I think it's Steve. The guy she had some sort of thing for, and the main reason that she came to Ostium in the first place. I slowly walk to her, giving her the time she needs. When I reach her, she's kneeling, her hand over her mouth, staring at him. Before I can say anything, she gets up and puts a pair of fingers to the pulse on his neck, waiting 20 seconds. Then she leans in and puts her ear close to his mouth, waiting for a breath. After another 20 seconds, she goes lower and leans her head against his chest, searching for any sort of quivering heartbeat. She gets back up. Her body language tells me everything I need to know. Is it... Steve? She looks at me, complete confusion. Then it clears, but there's still a deep sadness in her eyes. No, it's, it's not Steve. His name's Richard. Richard Kaling, another private from my former base. Really? Was he in that group that walked into Ostium yesterday? She stares at me, and it feels like her eyes are piercing into my very soul. That sadness in her eyes goes away, hardens into something, though I don't know what. She gives me a small nod in admission. I don't think she thought of this when she saw his body in the chair. It changes a lot of things. It poses a whole new set of questions. How the hell did the guy get from Monica's secret base, who came to Ostium yesterday and then left through the front gate, end up on a chair at the Catalina Casino movie theater? Dead. What happened to the rest of the team? Are they lost too, to Ostium? 
Are they all dead? And how did Richard die? Monica's looking at him again. I'm guessing she's got similar questions running through her head. We'll have to discuss it, but that's a conversation best left for our return to Ostium. Where's the artifact? I stare at the back of her head. There's an uncomfortably pregnant moment of silence that stretches out like a long, dark highway. I see her shoulders rise as she takes a breath, and finally she turns to look at me. I'm just staring back at her, still not saying anything. Oh, fuck no. You've got to be fucking kidding me. I slowly shake my head. I can pinpoint her right to here. Oh, fuck. Then gets up and heads to the entrance door to the theater. I stare at the body, not envying my task in the slightest. There's no clear or apparent cause of death. No bullet wounds, no body parts at strange angles, no marks on his neck. I touch the top of his head. It's gravestone cold. Sorry, poor choice of words. He's been dead for a long time. In my head, I have a blurry image of the artifact, like a vague dream. There's enough definition that I'm able to hesitate to guess at what it is. I start going through the guy's pockets. It doesn't take me long to find the movie ticket stub. That's it. When I hold it in my hand, it feels warm. The magnetic pull in my head disappears and it calms me. The movie listed on the stub is Armageddon. A crappy action flick with Bruce Willis from the late 90s. But it can't be that old. Then I see the date on the stub. It's today's. I got what I needed, so I quickly walked back to the front of the theater and find Monica waiting there for me. What should we do about Richard? <sighs> Monica looks over to where the body is and just shakes her head. Leave him there. We don't have time to do the honorable or correct thing. Then we're out the door and into the lobby. The loud crackling is instantly noticeable. Outside the windows, the afternoon is coming to a close and twilight is fast approaching. We make it out of the door we came through. It looks like the end of the world and it's all being swallowed up by a giant black hole. As stuff is consumed by the blackness, it doesn't make a sound. It just goes into the maw and is gone though the now deafening crackling sure makes up for it. The reality is painfully obvious. We don't have enough time to make it back to the pier and the door we came through to take us back to Ostium. We're out of time. We're out of leeway. We're royally up Shit Creek. And the paddle drifted downstream a long time ago. Fuck! I'm thinking. I'm listening to my thoughts my feelings, getting in touch with myself. Follow me! And then I start running away from the casino building, headed for the group of moored boats in front of us. I clatter down this tiny key that starts wobbling as soon as I land on it. It's on pontoons and none too stable. The water is all choppy and alive as the blackness guzzles its incredible volume. I reach the penultimate boat on the left, take a look back and see Monica just a few steps behind. I leap onto the boat and head for the cockpit. 
Monica is on board in seconds, fully trusting me. It feels good to know she trusts me as much as I trust her now. We're in this together, all the way. In the cockpit is a hatchway leading into the boat. There's a padlock hanging from the latch. It's unlocked. I also notice it's hexagonal. Then I'm ripping it off and throwing open the hatchway. Beneath it is darkness, much like the darkness getting very close to us now. The boats have started pulling tight on their mooring lines as the sea and everything within and upon it is drawn into the blackness. I reach for and grab Monica's hand. I look into her eyes. She is with me and her life is now in my hands. I turn and dive into the hole, pulling her in behind me. crash land onto the street in Ostium. The door closes by itself behind us, sealing the darkness behind the fifth door forever. We gingerly get up, check to make sure we're each okay, then make our way back to the clock tower. Back inside, I'm standing by the map table. I'm looking at Monica, and she comes up beside me. I know she wants to rest, to chill out, to make a real strong cup of tea and probably have something to eat. But I want to get this out of the way first. It's important. Because I think something is going to happen. Something big. I scrutinize the map for 30 seconds and feel Monica become impatient with me. I look up at her. There's no number six. She stares at me, not getting it at first. Then her eyes widen. She makes a more thorough search, only needing to skip past the few golden numbers. The rest she checks over individually. You're fucking right. What the hell? I shrug. Ready? The nod is all I need. I pull the ticket stub from my pocket and place it on the number five. The light instantly appears and shrouds the stub and sucks it in like a hungry carnivorous plant. Then there's a pristine-looking gold five sitting there. Seconds click by. I start to think maybe that's it and we can have a snack and some tea after all. Then a low rumbling begins and builds. It seems to be coming from beneath the map table, welling upwards like a volcanic eruption. Then we watch as the table itself starts vibrating, swaying a little from side to side. I hadn't checked before, but I was pretty sure the table was solidly bolted to the floor. It makes me think of the movie Jumanji. The crescendo builds, coming up and up, and then reaches the table. Before our very eyes, we watched the five golden numbers light up with a more brilliant golden color, then a white line. A jagged crack forms between the numbers linking the five together across a significant portion of the map. The white crack widens, emitting more light, forcing us to squint at it. First a half inch, then a full inch, then two inches, and finally stops at three. The light weakens, dims and disappears. The golden numbers return to their normal, unbrilliant selves. The chasm that has opened up on the map table is clear and abrupt, almost vicious-looking. 
an angry wooden scar. At the bisecting point of that crack is a small number. I lean in. It's a six. No, an eight. Wait, I think it's an infinity symbol. Monica doesn't care what's on the door. And how the hell are we supposed to get to it? Dig our fucking way into the ground? (laughs) That makes me snort with laughter as I contemplate this next mystery. That's when I both hear and feel another rumbling. Similar, but at the same time different to the one on the map table. This one's much stronger and bigger. Monica looks at me, the smile diminishing from her face like someone who's forgotten how to smile. That's when the ground starts to shake. I reach out to Monica, wanting to pull her close. Everything is different now. Everything has changed. The first time I opened one of those doors of Ostium to another world, I guess it was the second door technically, I talked about how I stood on a metaphorical precipice brimming with uncertainty for what was on the other side. Well, now I can safely say I have crossed that precipice and made it to the other side. Safely? I don't think I would say that. For the better or the worse? I guess that's still to be decided. I've learned a lot. I've discovered much. I've met someone. Someone I now care greatly for. Deeply for. Jesus. I think I might be falling in love with her. In a way. But I've also lost. Lost a lot. One might say everything. But I'm recording this from the other side. The other side of everything. The other side of that precipice. So I'm alive. I have my health, I think. And I have someone. I'm changed now. I'm different. Now. If you were born in California and are not under the age of 10, or have lived here at least a decade or more, chances are you've experienced an earthquake in some form. When people hear the word earthquake, their mind automatically jumps to the kind that causes extreme devastation. Buildings toppling like nine pins, your house breaking in half, everything hanging on the walls and sitting on shelves coming down and pelting you to death. But earthquakes vary greatly by 
where they occur, and it's all about where the epicenter is located. If it's pretty far away, people in town may feel the rumbling and some things may fall over. If that epicenter is under a city, then watch the fuck out. I went through that. It was the worst moment of my life. Actually, that's not true. It was the scariest moment of my life. I was at school. They told us to get under our desks. The worst moment was later, when I found out about my parents. But while my family and I were down in L.A., this was a few days before we went to Catalina, we also spent a day at Disneyland, because when you're down there, in the area, you've got to go. That night, we had a light earthquake, a timbler, I think they call it. We were staying at a hotel in Long Beach. It was actually kind of nice, relaxing in a way. My mom gently woke me up to let me know what was going on and that everything was okay. We were on the second floor and the building was just softly moving from side to side, just a few inches. I think I might have fallen asleep before it was even over. The earthquake happening in Ostium right now is kind of in between the two I've personally experienced. The rumbling comes and stays, then there's shaking. I jog over to a wall trying to stay stable on my feet and Monica soon joins me. She's watching my every move. Her eyes seem a little startled, telling me she isn't quite used to earthquakes. But then, whoever is. I wonder if this is the big one, I yell at her. She just looks at me, clearly with no clue what I'm talking about. Since the rumbling and shaking is still going on, she's getting more and more agitated. Like when you're on a flight in turbulence and you hate being 30,000 feet up and you're just willing and praying for the natural elements to stop shaking this fragile tin can in the sky and it just keeps getting worse. Going back to the people who've been in California a while, you know about the San Andreas Fault. That's the one running pretty much straight down the middle of the state. Has been overdue for a considerable earthquake for decades. And I'm starting to think this might just be it. And with that thought, it all starts to lighten up. The shaking lessens until it's all but gone, and the rumbling steadily subsides until there's nothing but silence after. You could call it deafening, but I think that's kind of a stupid saying. However, my ears are ringing. Monica starts to move, and I tell her to give it five minutes, in case of any aftershocks. I proceed to give her a mini-spiel on the big one and the San Andreas Fault, and how that was a much lesser earthquake, but still a decent one. She seems a little shocked by my reference to it being decent, but I just act nonchalant and go with it. The good news is we're unscathed. The former residents of Ostium weren't big on any sort of wall hanging decorations, so there's nothing that could have fallen and hit us. But I know the big question is, how does it look outside? Follow me, I tell Monica, aware she's still getting herself together. The door creaks a little, but otherwise opens fine. I step outside, and my first impression is everything pretty much looks the same. The roads aren't paved, just a light gravel covering them, and they look fine. All the buildings appear straight and standing that I can see. I make a slow turn, looking for anything out of place. As I face north, I see a slowly settling considerable cloud of dirt and dust. My brain starts thinking, and then... All the blood, fluid, and calm drains from my face, and I start to get dizzy. 
Shit. 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 I start saying over and over as I spin around, then off to the side to avoid running smack into Monica. I'm back in the clock tower looking at the map table at where that new and menacing looking crack is. If my calculations are correct... I bring up that mental infrared map of Ostium, and I see a red line running across Ostium, matching what I saw on the map table. I'm back out the door again, and Monica is looking at me like I've totally lost my fucking mind. I might well have. We'll just have to see. Just follow me, I yell at her, and start running towards that cloud that is getting clearer and more transparent. It doesn't take me too long to get there. Monica's a few seconds behind. I think on the way over, she might have cottoned on to what was going through my head. The dust cloud is all but gone by this point. I've stopped, not because I'm at the edge of the cloud, but because if I were to take another step, I would plunge to my death. Before us is a big crack running through Ostium, just like on the map table. That thing really is literal. I look to the east and in the hazy distance can see the wall running south, marking the edge of Ostium. The crack goes straight up to it and just seems to stop. There's no apparent crack or damage to the wall that I can see from here. I look west and discover the same thing. The yawning crack is about ten feet across. We could probably jump it, but it would be risky. You'd need a good running start. I look down, the dust cloud now gone and see it goes down far, 20 feet at least. You could jump it, if you felt like breaking a leg or two wasn't that big of a deal. I realize we're going to have to come up with some way to get down there, because somewhere below is our next door with the sideways 8 on it. Infinity. Whatever that might mean. Monica is by my side now, looking just as daunted at the prospect of what we need to do. I turn to her and feel a smile form on my face. Got any rope? back at the clock tower, having some chow and making sure our thinking caps are on straight. Getting down to the bottom of that crack is not going to be easy. We need a decent length of rope or something that can be used to let us get to the bottom without cracking our skulls open. It has occurred to me that there was nothing nearby to which said special rope could be attached to, but that's a big step too. Right now, all our focus is on step one. Find a long, thin, strong thing. I know I've looked around inside the clock tower already, and Monica tells me she's checked it out too. But we're gonna check again because we can't really do anything without a safe way of getting down there. We do have a brief discussion going over the possibilities and merits of going through some previous ostium doors to see if we can locate some rope. And yes, we did both go back to Mars without any real problems, but it just doesn't seem like ostium would let us do it that way if you catch my drift. Of course, some time from now, when we're all out of options, this might change. But for now, my gut's on finding something in here. I don't know why, I just do. 
sort of. Life finds a way. Okay, I'm really sorry about that. That was terrible. There aren't that many rooms in the clock tower. Not many options. So it doesn't take us long to find the secret door. After going from top to bottom in the kitchen and then the bathroom, as those are the two rooms with cabinets and actual space to hide a useful rope, we start on the bedroom, going through our own personal belongings, then just looking around the small room. That's when Monica says, Holy shit. How did I never think of this before? How did you never think of this before? What? She grabs the bed and roughly drags it out of the way. It makes a nice squealing grating sound. I step back quickly to give her room. Beneath the bed is a door on the floor. On the door is the infinity symbol. No fucking way. Has that been here all along? How the fuck would I know? I'm pretty sure if Steve had seen his door in the floor, he would have mentioned it. <laughs> yeah, you're right. So when did it show up? It could have been whenever, when Steve was here, when I was here, when you arrived. Who knows? Maybe when the crack appeared on the map table. Maybe when the earthquake happened. Does it really matter? No, it doesn't. So, where does it go? When did you vote me the Encyclopedia Britannica of Ostium? <laughs> that, was, that was good. I move to the side of the door, reach out for the handle, turn it, and pull the door toward me. It's a little heavy, and for one second I almost lose my balance and fall flat on my face on top of it. I would have broke my nose, no doubt, but Monica's strong hand is instantly there, gripping over mine and giving me the added necessary strength to pull the door open. That's fucking teamwork. I think Monica's extensive vocabulary might be rubbing off on me. If you're offended, or incensed, or both, sorry. So, uh, how do you want to do this? Climb down on our knees, like going down a ladder? Sit down and push ourselves off, like on a boat? Like this. She grabs my hand again. Her hand is soft and warm, and I'm certainly enjoying feeling her touch. She weaves her fingers through mine and then takes a step into the blackness, gravity pulling her down and bringing me along for the ride. If this is the end, at least I'm going out with someone I care about. I mean, we're ending it together, Thelma and Louise style. Okay, I'm gonna stop there. We plunge into darkness and we land somewhere that makes kind of a crunching sound, but it's not too hard. We didn't fall far, and I bend my knees as I land, and assume Monica does the same. After all, she's trained for blindly jumping into strange and new places. But the problem is, we're still in darkness. I don't know if we're surrounded by walls, or doors, or just endless space. We both neglected to bring a flashlight. Guess we were too excited about going through this new door. I know Monica is still there, because she's still holding my hand. Tight just what I need. Being alone in a place like this would normally scare the crap out of me, but with a strong person like Monica, it makes it a little more manageable. At least my fear is easier to hold at bay. So, what do we do now? My voice has a bit of an echo to it. This answers a few questions right away. We're in a decent-sized room, not an open space, meaning there are walls nearby and hopefully doors. Monica starts to say something, and then a 
glow begins to form in front of us. It's small, at eye level, and blurry. As it brightens, it becomes more defined, and I soon realize it's another infinity symbol. It sharpens, and Monica doesn't need any more encouragement. Still holding on to me, she steps forward and reaches around. I hear her hand scratching against what sounds like a wooden surface. Finds what she's looking for, turns, and pulls. The door with the glowing infinity symbol starts to open. Daylight immediately floods into our little room. She opens it wide and steps through, pulling me behind her. As I step through, I look back to see if I can see anything about the room or the door we came through from the ceiling. But there's just darkness, as if the light doesn't penetrate that far into the room. Outside, Monica closes the door and, in doing so, lets go of my hand. We both recognize immediately where we are. The rising walls on either side tell us we're at the bottom of the crack. I can see 20 feet ahead on the right side, another door with the infinity symbol. We both automatically start walking to it. We're soon staring right at it. Yes, we forgot to bring any supplies. Like what? Do we usually? Well, I like to bring a sandwich or a snack or something. It's not that big of a deal. Do you want to go back and somehow get through the door in the ceiling and make yourself a PB&J? No, I'm good. Let's do this. Wait, uh, there's something I haven't told you. Something you need to know. I stop and stare right into her eyes. The seriousness of her voice has chilled me. When you went back home to pick up the last of your things, the squad came back. I was able to sense them with that mental map thing we've got now. I was ready for them. I uh, led them to door number two, to Roanoke. I was ahead and opened the door, hid around the corner and waited. They all went in and I slammed the door behind them. I just kept staring at her. I have no clue what to say. My mind's an empty hole. Then I find some words. Why, why, why didn't you tell me? Now it's her turn to be silent. We're both staring at each other a hell of a lot, but my feelings and her looks have gone by the wayside for now. Uh, I regret what I did. I knew I sent those men in there, knowing they'd never make it out. But what they did to Steve, it, it really fucking pissed me off. They treated him like a piece of shit. They didn't care. I... I wanted to get back at them. Perhaps it was petty, but... Seconds ticked by. You didn't answer the question. No. You're right. I didn't tell you because I didn't know how you'd take it. And I felt ashamed for what I did. That's why when I saw Richard, I kind of lost my shit for a bit there. They weren't ever going to go away, were they? When they left the first time? No. They were going to keep coming back until they found someone or got some answers. I'm glad you told me. It's uh, it's going to take some time to process, to comprehend, to understand. For now, let's move on. I get a nod from her. This time I reach for her hand and she takes it without question. I throw open the door in a now very familiar way and lead us into darkness.
anticlimactically, we're in a stairwell. The stairs go up, but there's also stairs going down. Behind us, the ordinary plain door closes, and above is a sign in green fluorescent lighting proclaiming, Ostium. It's not the first time I've been at an impasse in Ostium with two options to choose from. To some, this might seem like your ordinary, everywhere stairwell, but to me, I recognize it in less than 30 seconds. I used to take the elevator twice a day, but on Fridays, when I was done, at the strike of five, I'd skip the elevator and head straight for the stairs, charging down those eight floors and getting to my car as fast as I could before the rush hour line of traffic began in the extensive parking lot beneath my work. I've bolted down these very stairs hundreds of times. And now, a door in Ostium has taken us right here. <laughs> Follow me. I, I know this place very well. I lead the way upstairs. Monica tries the second and third floor doors as I'm heading up the next flight and finds them locked solid. She doesn't bother with the rest. When we reach the eighth floor, we're both breathing heavily. I noticeably more than Monica. I worked here for almost three years until they fired me last week for attendance issues. She just nods. There's nothing more really to add. I put my hand on the door to the floor where I work. It definitely feels pretty weird to be going up the stairs and through the door this way. It's also really damn weird that I'm at work via Ostium. That one of the doors, albeit not with a number, but an enigmatic symbol, has led us here. With where the other doors have led us so far, my heart rate is definitely up, and it's not just because of all the stairs I just ascended. We haven't had a chance to see any people really so far, but I'm assuming once we go through this door, I'm going to be looking at a big empty cubicle forest, and it won't be because it's a Saturday or Sunday. I meant to check up on Catalina once we were back at the clock tower, to look it up on the news and see if anything had happened. If anything were somehow related to what we'd experienced on our trip there. But the whole earthquake thing kind of distracted everything and everyone. When I get back today, or after all this is over, I'm going to check on that. Need to be sure. Monica has been looking at me for a while, giving me the space and time I need. When you're ready. Thank you. I turn the handle and walk into an office environment I never expected to see again. We step inside and it feels completely wrong right away. There's a strange haziness to the air, like it's sort of a dream. It's definitely different from any of the other doors we've been through before. But it's also my workplace. The video game company I used to work for occupies the entire floor here, but my specific software division, my domain, or former domain if you will, is the group of cubicles in one of the back corners. I don't know how it works with other game companies, but while we all get along just fine, since there's quite a few of us spread across the floor in our many cubicles, we tend to stick to our own kind. The writers, the software guys, the sound guys, the PR people. We all interact plenty during the week, but cliques inevitably form since each division has its own jargon for how it talks about their aspect of the game-making process. And when we have big conference meetings that involve most or all of the staff, it's pretty funny to watch us all go into the conference room and then split off into our separate groups. 
Yep, totally like high school. <laughs> I'm talking a lot about my work. Guess I do miss it a bit. Hadn't really thought about it, but I did spend quite some time working in this place and got to know some people pretty well. And I did enjoy the work. And then came Ostium. I lead the way over to my division of the floor where my little old cubicle used to be. As soon as we stepped through the door, there were desks and workstations in immediate view that revealed more of the expected. Not a single person in sight. As we travel across the floor, it's just more of the same. I haven't really talked to Monica at all since we stepped through the last door with the infinity symbol on it, because I've been a, kind of in my own world. But I also know Monica is the sort of person that if she wants to talk about something or needs me to say something, she'll just call me on it. She's not exactly someone who holds back. It's definitely something I like about her. Probably because it's a personality trait that is very different from me. And as we're heading towards one side of the floor, she could be asking me questions, making me stop, making me talk about what might be going on here. She isn't, because she knows what it is. She knows about me, who I am, what I used to do. She knows where she is right now, and she knows I need the space, the quiet, to get through all this that's coming at me. She's one tough cookie, too. Also, I'm pretty sure I'll never say that to her face. We arrive at my division. The first cubicle is Robert's. On the side wall of his cubicle is a sign he made about a year ago, and we were all for it, as he pinned it to the matting wall. Where are the software geeks? There's nothing soft about them. A smile forms on my lips as the memories behind that sign come back to me. I step over the divisional threshold and am stopped in my tracks. The corner is laid out with eight cubicles. Three of those cubicles are against the window, allowing that trio of cubicle owners the advantage of being able to see the sun and sky out the window, as well as the next high-rise office building a street width away. Except, as I'm looking now, I can see three cubicles are missing. There are only five, two against the window somehow. From where I'm standing, with a little leaning to the left or to the right, I can see into each of those five cubicles. What stops me cold is that each of those cubicles is occupied. And they're all occupied by Jake Fisher. Me. I think this is the point when my mind begins to unravel a little bit. The second I realized I was in my office building, my heartbeat started increasing on a logarithmic level. Then I set foot in my office environment. I started to sweat in many areas around my body. I didn't know what I was going to find here, what Ostium wanted to reveal to me, but I knew it wasn't going to be good or understandable or logical or make my life in any way better. It was going to be the opposite of all those. But I never in a million thoughts and imaginings expect anything like this. 
they're all me. Sitting in their chairs, staring at their screens, their hands palmed down on their thighs. They're dressed in suits, something I've never owned. Their hair combed over at the parting in a way my mother always liked, but I've never been a fan of. Though I did wear it like that to her and my dad's funeral. They all look exactly like me, neither older nor younger. I feel myself slowly sink down to my knees. Then Monica is there helping me, pulling me back up. This is where I am the ship and she becomes my captain and rudder and sails, pulling me to the first cubicle on the right. She's seen something I haven't, the reason for all this. It's not until I reach the cubicle and force myself to rip my eyes away from my doppelganger, my clone, that I see what the body double is looking at on the screen. It's a news page with today's date. It's about the nuclear power plant meltdown in Ukraine. A vague memory from days ago comes to me of checking late at night online and seeing this breaking, devastating news story and how the radioactive cloud was headed southwest into Central and Southern Europe. Things have gone from terrible to catastrophic. The cloud helped by all the wind has spread further apart, encompassing a larger area. All of Germany is now affected, as is Austria and Switzerland. The radioactivity is now passing into the Netherlands, approaching the eastern border of France, and has crossed the Alps into northern Italy. This is all covered in the first paragraph of the article on the New York Times website. I know this is a real story, that it actually happened, even though I'm seeing this news page in a world created by Ostium. I whip out my phone and I'm not surprised to see I have full 6G coverage here, and I'm also connected to the Wi-Fi where I used to work, even though all the employees here never knew the extremely complicated 50-character password to prevent the employees and anyone in the vicinity from mooching off the superior internet speed. Because if there's one thing a video game company needs, it's fucking good internet service. I type in New York Times in my search bar, then I start to type the word nuclear, and it autofills the article title, and I'm looking at the same page as what's on the monitor in front of me, in front of both of me. It's the mobile version, but the text is the same, and soon I'm reading through the article, Monica reading over my shoulder. I can feel her hair tickling my ear. It's a little distracting, but then so is the simulacrum sitting just a few feet away from me. The death toll in Europe is now in the tens, tens of millions. Five teams have attempted to reach the reactor to try to alleviate the radioactive gas issuing from it, but each time the five teams have succumbed to the elements. Fancy language, for they all died of radioactive burns and poisoning, their skin melting off their bones. I can't read anymore. I put my phone away and look at Monica. Our faces are very close. My sight becomes blurry as tears fill my eyes. She pulls me into an embrace. I count to ten, heave in a deep breath, and reluctantly pull away. Can you look at me? She looks into my eyes. I am looking. And then understands what I mean. I watch her as she steps past me and in front of one of the other me's, squatting down to study the features. Her bravery is admirable. She reaches out and touches its arm and pulls back. No movement or reaction. She touches its hand. The skin is cold. Stiff. She touches its cheek. 
Same. Too cold. Definitely not alive. Feels like I'm touching a fucking corpse. Or a robotic clone. This brings on a shiver that starts at the top of my head and runs all the way down my spine and legs to my heels. I almost fall to the floor. Okay, that's enough. She gets up and we walk over to another me, this one sitting in a cubicle by the window. I can't help looking out. I look down at the street and sidewalks below. There's no one down there, no cars either. Something that's never been seen on a San Francisco street during daylight hours. It's beyond eerie and terrifying combined. On the screen is another news page, this one from the Huffington Post. In the Democratic Republic of Congo, a new strain of Ebola has broken out, the most virulent one yet. People are dying in the thousands on a daily basis. Meanwhile, rebel groups and warlords are preventing doctors and health officials from entering the country to try to help. While it is yet to be confirmed, doctors are pretty certain the Ebola strain has already spread to the neighboring countries of Angola, Tanzania, Zambia, Uganda, and South Sudan. This time, I just bring it up on my phone to make sure it's legitimate. It, of course, is. I give Monica a nod and don't bother reading any more of it. The feeling in my heart, my goddamn soul, is getting heavier by the second. Terrible things are happening out there in the big wide world. Meanwhile, we're just having fun and playing games here in Ostium. Are we? Aren't we? What are we doing here? What is Ostium doing for us? I know I've asked myself these questions before, and I still don't feel I have any real answers. We move on to the next cubicle. I managed to section off the part of my mind that started losing it with all these copies of myself, pushing it down and away, and just focusing on the here and now, while trying to ignore each of the things sitting in the seats. Monica has been my rock here. Without her, I would have devolved into a helpless puddle on the floor long ago. On the next screen is yet another breaking news story, this time from Reuters. There's been two devastating earthquakes back-to-back -back in Asia, one with an epicenter in the Henan province of China, measuring 8.9 on the Richter scale. It's estimated that close to 100,000 people have died, though at the moment this is just an early estimate. The second earthquake, which took place six hours later, before the aftershocks of the previous earthquake were done with, has an epicenter in the Pacific near Guam, measuring a terrifying 9.5. While the area the earthquake hit is just water, the tidal wave that developed has swept along Japan's eastern seaboard as well as China's and Taiwan's. The number of dead at this point is impossible to predict, though numbers are being thrown around in the vicinity of a quarter of a million people. I think I let out a sort of moan while Monica lets out her own guttural sound beside me. I make my way slowly over to the penultimate cubicle, the last one with a window view. I start taking some deep breaths, trying to keep control. I look out the window, this time focusing on the neighboring building, rows of empty windows. Then I think I see movement. I react, focusing on the specific window. Did you see that? Monica is immediately next to me. She wasn't there, so she obviously didn't see. I, I thought I saw something move. Same floor as this one, five windows in from the left. 
We stare at that window and the surrounding ones for a full minute. There's no sign of further movement, and I'm definitely doubting myself as to whether I saw anything to begin with. I will freely admit I'm very fragile right now. This headline from The Guardian isn't as bad as the previous three, but it's still nowhere in the neighborhood of good news. An oil tanker is run aground along the south coast of England near Brighton. It was carrying a full load, and because of the severity of the damage, almost 90% of its crude oil is now floating on the Atlantic and swiftly being carried into the English Channel and the Bay of Biscay. England's southern coast is already awash in the toxic spill. It's expected to reach the west coast of France in a day, the north coast of Spain in two. The name of the tanker is the Mary Celeste. I don't know how, but I'm down on the ground again. I've fallen over. I've fainted. I've collapsed. I don't know. My head kind of hurts, but the solid ground is reassuring. Monica is beside me, her legs folded under her. She picks up my head and gently cradles me in her lap. Why the fuck would they name a ship that? She's just shaking her head at me. There are tears in her eyes as well now. One drops on my cheek, still warm. I dig out my phone and hand it to her. Can you just check to be sure? She does and just hands the phone back to me. Her eyes confirm the validity of it all. One more to go. Your cubicle. As she helps me to my feet, again, I wonder for a second how she knows it's my cubicle. But then I remember she's very clever, and of course I'd leave my workspace last. Whether consciously or subconsciously, it was serendipity. As we walk over, I see all the bits and bobs pinned to the inside wall of my cubicle, my ephemera. They're all familiar except for one photo. I grab it and rip it off the wall, shoving it in my pocket before Monica can see it. I only saw it for a second, but I don't know how it could be, how it could exist. She looks at me, questioning. I just give her a little shake. Not now. Maybe later. We read what's on the monitor over the copy of me together. It's from the Los Angeles Times. Catalina found empty. Abandoned? Screams the headline. In shocking news today, it was learned that the entire population of the island of Catalina is missing. All forms of rescue and law enforcement have been brought in to investigate. There are teams going over the island in search of evidence, while other groups investigate up and down the California coast for some sign of what happened to these 4,105 souls. A disappearance on a scale such as this has never been seen before. There is only one recorded instance of a similar nature, and that is the lost colony of Roanoke. The next paragraph is cut off by the edge of the screen, and there it is, the news that I was hoping in some way would come to not be true, but I always knew on some level was. I put my hands in front of my face and start sobbing. Monica enfolds me in her arms again, and I feel like a weak, pathetic thing that should be stronger than this, that should be able to hold it together better. But I can't, because this is all about me. Ostium is me and I am it. I'm tied to it through some invisible umbilical and it scares the living shit out of me because I have no fucking idea why. Why are you doing this to me? 
I want to yell at the windows and walls and ostium, but I don't want to risk losing Monica. I can't. And I also know I'm not going to get a response. Jake, we need to go. It skillfully breaks the spell. I wipe my snot and saliva on my sleeve, take a few dry sobbing breaths and stand up with her. She's gripping my hand again, holding on tight and drags me toward the door and away from all this. I take one last look back at my five doppelgangers and want to start crying again. I bite my lip hard, drawing blood. I can taste it. It's salty and bitter. It helps. We go through the door and down the stairs. It seems to take eons and we finally reach the bottom to the door with the lit fluorescent ostium sign above it. This place also feels like something from eons ago. I find my legs stuck, my feet not moving. I start shaking my head, not knowing what I really want. Monica pulls on my arm, throwing open the door. There's just blackness on the other side. I don't want this anymore. I just want this to end. Shut up. Ostium is telling you something with this door and this place. You don't know what it is yet, and I don't either. But it's something. Ostium exists for a reason. You're tied to Ostium for a reason, and now we need to know why. And we'll do it together, okay? I just stare at her, slowly taking in her words. Then she takes my face in her hands and kisses me, hard. Her lips are full and warm, and I'm suddenly lost in a special place I never want to leave. She breaks it after an eternity, after a few seconds looking at me. I should be smiling or laughing. Inside I am, but outside I'm deadly serious. I pull the crumpled photo from my pocket and hand it to her. She opens it between us so we can both see. It's a color photo of two people kissing. Of Monica and me kissing. Exactly as she just kissed me. I didn't recognize it when I first saw it, but as I look at it now I can see the walls match where we're standing. There's also a green glow in one corner of the photo. A glow from a light proclaiming ostium is on the other side of the door. She looks up at me and there's fear in her eyes now. Join the club. There's something else. I wait. There's been no creepy crackling or blackness coming at us while we've been here. And we've been here a long time. If it was coming, it would have got us by now. Have you been holding it back? I shake my head. Right now is the first time I've thought about the blackness since we came through. We both turn to the open doorway. It's going to be different on the other side, back in Ostium. We're holding hands again. How do you know? I look at her and force a small smile. Let's just say Ostium and I go way back. Before she can smack me upside the head, I drag her through the door and back to Ostium.